Hello, Curvies. I am Mary Scott Hunter here today with my co-hosts, Rachel Breyers and Liz Bashirs. And happy 2022. Fittingly, today, we are going to talk about growth. These 21 months of COVID have been hard. And I think we all know that we aren't done with this cursed, awful disease yet. Big hats off to our essential workers, especially our curvies in the healthcare fields. We so appreciate you and know that your life and your work has probably been a blur. Thank you, thank you, thank you from the bottom of our hearts. And for all the rest of us, my guess is, like it or not, you've had to slow down a little bit, regroup, rethink your priorities. COVID definitely gave me time and motivation to make some changes in my life in 2021. It wasn't easy, but it feels sitting here today like many of us are standing at the beginning of a new road. We've all taken some hard knocks, maybe made some changes in 2021. And if you're like me, and I think a lot of us are, we're all ready to just kind of spread our wings in 2022 as best we can. So if that's you, or if you are trying to get there, I think this show will help you. I spent some time really thinking deeply about growth and what it takes, and um, that's going to be our show topic today. But before we go further, I'd like to say thank you to Higher Echelon. We have been so pleased to have Higher Echelon sponsor us because we so love the shared values of the company and our show. Higher Echelon are the experts from company-wide training to individual resiliency coaching to maximizing your investment in Salesforce. They have what you need and they can be found at higherechelon.com. That's H-I-G-H-E-R-E-C-H-E-L-O-N.com. Ladies. Let's talk about my intro. Did that resonate with you? Are you feeling sort of like you're launching yourself into a new phase? I know I do, but where are you as we sit here today? I feel like I have come out of a deep, dark hole the last couple of weeks. You know, I started a new job um, at the beginning of December. Things at, in Birmingham just feel, they feel different this year than they did last year. It feels like everybody is kind of uh, coming out of hibernation and things, you know, even with the surge in cases the last couple of weeks, every, everything seems a little optimistic for the first time in a while. Now, did I or did anybody else um, in kind of my circle do the the growth that we're going to be talking about today? That remains to be seen, but I feel like I'm coming into a season where I am ready for that growth for the first time in about two years. I love that. And, you know, well, we, we are recording this in the first week of January. New Year's is my favorite holiday. I love Christmas, certainly 4th of July and others, but you know, something about the new year and all of its hope and promise for growth, that sense of future, putting away the old, embracing the new, it's deeply refreshing, inspiring to me. So, you know, to answer your question, I kind of get that feeling of launching into a new growth phase every year. And it literally starts right after Christmas Day. You know, in tw- actually in 2021, this year, this past year, it started on Christmas Day. So we had a wonderful day. We had done all the things. It was awesome. But if you had peeked in on me at about 10 p.m., you would have found me in my closet doing a massive clean out, gathering up clothes for donation, (laughs) reorganizing, vacuuming that darn closet. And by the end of the day after Christmas, all the Christmas items were already put away. Tree was at the curb. 
And I was full speed thinking about 2022. So that does tend to go on with me every year. But I do feel, yes, a certain sense that there's a lot of growth on the horizon, specifically now and in the coming year. It feels like it's just been a pent up time. And everyone now, maybe not everyone, I shouldn't say everyone, but at least for me, I felt constrained. And I have been constrained. We've all been constrained. And yeah, that sense of, you know, get rid of the Christmas tree, clean out the closet. Let's get going. Let's do this. It sounds like we're all feeling that way. I think there's probably quite a bit of that out there. So I spent some time thinking about that and trying to be mindful of where where I am and what I need to do. And and I myself am changing jobs. I, I changed jobs last year. I, I, I changed companies and I'm re-entering the Air Force Reserves as a JAG, which is crazy, but wonderful. That's finally happening. And yeah, so there's a lot there's a lot kind of out there. And so I've been in my journal. That's how I kind of figure things out like this. And I've been writing and writing. And I think I've boiled down growth, which is what my mindset is and what we're going to be talking about today and where we kind of all are to a few elements. That, that's where I want to focus this talk. These are the elements that I think are necessary to grow in healthy ways. And I want to run them by you and see what you all think. And here we go. So let's talk change. No, change is uncomfortable. Um, You know, it's, I think for most people, maybe not everyone, some people love change, but I think most people don't. So how about you? Are you comfortable with change? Where, where, where does change fit in the equation for you? What do you, what do you think? How are you, how do you handle change? Any tips? All that. So sometimes I'm like Rachel, sometimes I'm there the day, uh, like something's got to give, something's got to change. And I'm pulling everything out of my drawers. I'm, I'm, I, I get on these kicks of throwing all this stuff away. And I make this big plan of, of to-do lists and goal setting and all this kind of stuff. And like, I am a very in end day one, begin day two. And, um, but then other times I look at what the changes that need to be made and be like, eh, I've got time later <laughs> because it does seem uncomfortable. There are, there are things about change that are very uncomfortable and put you in a vulnerable place of, Hey, are these changes that I'm going to make this growth I need to go through? Are they going to be things that are worth the, the cost at the end? Um, kind of on that cleaning out closets note, but I think it was the day after Christmas, one of my best friends texted me and was like, I made a huge mistake. I decided I'm going to clean out my drawers and <laughs> I, I lost energy halfway through. <laughs> so I'm surrounded by clothes right now and I don't know what to do. <laughs> so there's always that risk. There's always that risk that you're going to start making a change. You're going to start this plan of action and get in over your head. And so I think that can get overwhelming sometimes. Mm, yeah, I think probably what's important even about what you just shared there is that there seems like there's two categories. So there's chains we we do not choose. So think uh-huh. everything that has come with COVID and oh, gosh, that's incredibly uncomfortable. And then there's change we do choose, still hard, still uncomfortable, you know, th- changes we might want to make like eating better, exercising more. But, you know, on the former, and that's really what we've all been going through these past few years, when we don't choose the change, Experts do say a variety of difficult emotions are often provoked that can really stunt the potential growth that could come. So I like what Janet Cernak wrote over at betterup.com. She said that as humans, we have an internal need for consistency. We have our own internal mapping of neurological comfort zones. 
are unique places for getting comfortable. In a time of disruption, we encounter inconsistencies between what is really happening and what we believe to be true so that we experience cognitive dissonance. And she says that as a result, we often uh, behave in an array of aggressive and passive defenses and reactive responses. So avoidance, denial, anger, cynicism, sarcasm, opposition, and resistance, she says, are all part of the mix. She says often these might be natural reactions, but I think her point is that all of that makes it harder, right? Some of these changes you have no control over and our neurological survival mechanism, as she calls it, kind of steps in and makes it harder. So in that sense, you know, I think forced change is much more uncomfortable than chosen change, though both are difficult to manage. They both require some level of rewiring of our neural networks. So I, I think the idea of harnessing willpower alone is pretty outdated. Still, as John Maxwell has so aptly said, change is inevitable. Growth is optional. So I think our attitudes about change can make all the difference in easing that discomfort. Wow, I love that quote. Yeah, I, that's kind of where I was in my head, in my, in my journal, and in my thinking is that, you know, if I want to grow, I got to change. I mean, whether it's done to me, whether I choose to do it, whether it's very, very uncomfortable, marginally uncomfortable, you know, whatever, it's just going to, it's, what's the old, like, can't go around it, can't go under it, can't go, <laughs> you just, you know, you just got to go through it. And I, you know, stealing yourself to go through that change, it's just part of it. And you can't, you can't do anything but face it head on. And, but let, let, let me ask you all this, it, with respect to change, I do think that if you can figure out parts of your life that you can keep unchanging, like, I mean, not totally unchanging because everything changes, but let's say, you know, with the closet cleaning process, is that really more like, okay, I'm going to clean out my closet so that every morning I can get ready easy. And that's going to be unchanging so that all the other things I need to do that are you know, out there floating around that are crazy. I mean, I guess what I'm saying, is it wrong to try to control some things and make them as unchanging as possible so that you can, I don't know, it's kind of like a fixed cost idea. You know, you've got your fixed costs, you've got your things that don't change, but then you got to have that so you can handle all the other optional things that are floating around out there that are going to come your way as you do try to grow. Oh, I think that's a, I mean, I, I, I have a great boss and he actually said to me in our performance review, he said, you know, don't confuse making improvements with the status quo. So basically he was saying, you're going to get faster, quicker. Things are going to become easier. And that's part of it. That's good. That doesn't mean you're just maintaining the status quo. I mean, I know that sometimes I can think, well, if it's not hard, if it's not difficult, then maybe, it's not hard and difficult. Then, it's not worth it. Yeah. Then maybe I'm not, or maybe <laughs> I'm not doing something right. Like, am I pushing myself to my limits if this doesn't, if this is starting to feel easy? But I think what you're getting at is that like there's some parts of your life that you should get to mastery over. It doesn't mean it's the status quo. You've just gotten good and fast and quick. And that's great because some of your areas of your life are going to tap you in ways that you need to be putting your full learning powers to get better at. I, I think it, research has even shown it's got to be a balance of both. Like we need mastery. We need to get quicker, but we got to have those areas where we're still willing to grow and learn. I think so, because if you're not... If you're not master, if you're, you haven't mastered some areas, if you're trying to master all these different areas, that's impossible. You know, that's impo it's impossible to manage that level of change. So, changing is, is inevitable. 
But I think as best you can, choosing where you're going to, you know, sometimes it's done to you, as we've said, like, and that's the hardest kind, but picking what you're going to do and then doing it. And then in other areas of your life, managing change, because you can't expend every bit of energy you have, you have to manage all that. But yeah, unless you accept it, unless you accept change and unless you accept that discomfort, not going to grow, not going to grow. So that's, that's the first piece. Let's talk about stopping and starting. (laughs) I have trouble with I don't have trouble with starting. I don't know about y'all. Uh, I I will start things all day long. And that's important because you can't change. You can't do any, you can't grow without starting something. But I think if you're a busy person, if you're a person that tends to take on a lot, you also have to stop things. And that's where I don't do as well. I am not as good at, at stopping So this year I have spent some time winding things down. I think it's really important to, when you're going to stop something, you know, that's important to you. That's important to other people and where there's, you know, where there's people involved that could be hurt if you too abruptly stop. I think it's important to wind down. So I've spent some time this year winding down some of my responsibilities. And I think of all the things I am proudest of this year, it's the things I've stopped And I feel like for the most part, the stops have been graceful and have not unduly burdened others. So that's kind of where I am on starts and stops, but no growth without stops. Where are y'all on stops and starts? This is, this might seem like a little bit of a simple example, but one of my favorite things that I started in 2021 was learning how to paint. And I, I, I have always considered myself a creative person, but not necessarily an artistic person. And, and for some reason just had this, this mental script that I played that I'm not artistic. I can't draw, I can't paint. And I, so there were a couple of things I had to stop to get over, to write over that mental script. One of them being that I wasn't artistic turns out if you practice a skill, you get better at it. And so learning how to paint last year, I got better and better and better. And, and then this year for Christmas, I was able to give uh, several friends and families paintings I did. And it was, it was just so gratifying. The other thing I had to stop was scrolling on my phone for hours and hours every evening, because you can't do that. Doom scrolling. So stopping isn't always a negative thing. Um, and it's, it's, it, it can be it, like, like you mentioned, it's a, a key ingredient in growth is stopping things that aren't serving you anymore. Um, and so you can have the bandwidth, have the time to be able to start the things that are more valuable to you. I love that because you mixed in a a mix of stopping certain activities and mindsets both. And and so my my thing that I would like to add is actually stopping two specific mindsets. It's interesting. I was going back. I'm a journaler to Mary Scott. I was looking back through my journals and realizing, you know, there's a theme there. I've been trying to professionally stop thinking that just because I don't know everything in my field, that that means I know nothing in my field. You know, and what I mean is that I think it's good to be aware that there's a lot to learn, to have that humility to admit you don't know everything. But but I'm actively working on more freely sharing my knowledge and expertise because I do see how it helps other people. I think sometimes we assume people already know what we know, and so we don't want to state the obvious, you know, but the truth is that they don't. And just because it feels like common knowledge to us 
you know, it's it's not common knowledge to someone else. They're thinking about their own field of expertise. So anyway, that's been important to me. And then personally, the second mindset that I continue to work on stopping is thinking that if something can't be done perfectly, well, you might as well not do it at all. <laughs> you know, and we know this consistency is so much more valuable than inconsistent perfection. So, you know, getting an average workout in is better than doing no workout. Eating a somewhat healthy meal is better than just throwing in the towel and eating a cheeseburger because you didn't have time to cook a whole 30 completely clean meal. You know, being a working parent, you know, you have to rely on your kid's ability to take responsibility and manage a lot of their own stuff. That doesn't mean you aren't a loving, involved, caring presence in your kid's life. So, I don't think this means we lower our standards, not at all. It doesn't mean we're making excuses. I think we still set the bar high, but maybe we set a second bar too, you know, a little lower so that if we jump for the high bar and miss sometimes, we aren't just crashing to the ground. We have a bar in the middle that we grabbed that day and we can feel good about that because it's not a total loss. Wow. I love that. So stops and starts, we've talked about stops and starts. We've talked about um, discomfort when it comes to change. Uh, Let's talk about feedback, (laughs) feedback. So I want you all to answer this question. I'm going to answer it for myself too, because I've always thought of myself as good at taking feedback, but am I, am I good at taking feedback? But um, where do I need to get better? And I think everybody can get better. And And the fact is, if you don't, if you can't take feedback, then you're probably not going to grow, or at least you're probably going to grow a whole lot slower. Um, And you're certainly not going to grow in certain areas. So see if you can answer this question. I I, I think my strength when it comes to feedback is blank. So Curvy's, you answer it too. I think my strength when it comes to feedback is blank, but I tend to be weaker when it comes to blank. So I think my strength when it comes to feedback is that I, I schedule it. I, I try to go get it. I, I do all the things around it, like, you know, put it on my calendar and then I go get it. Um, but then I tend to be weaker when it comes to actually implementing the feedback. That's Mary Scott's answer to that. Cause what happens is I'll, you know, I'll, I'll schedule feedback with a mentor or a friend or, you know, somebody that I a coach and, you know, then I go get it, you know, and I'm good at all the things surrounding it. Like I'm organized. I'm, I'm I keep my appointment. I'm on time. I, you know, all that. I've got my little count. I've got my little notebook, you know, I've got my pen and paper. I'm writing notes, but you know, then I go back and I really don't, I don't do it. Um, that's the truth is I don't a lot of times do it. So, all right. That's a little bit of, um, dirty little secret about Mary Scott. Anybody else want to mess up? <laughs> um, okay. I'll, I'll go next. Personally, I think my strength when it comes to feedback is I don't take it very personally in terms of, I, I don't let it weigh me down. I don't let, let it uh, undermine who I am as a person with one enormous caveat, <laughs> I tend to be weaker when it comes from my husband. <laughs> Y'all, when he, when I, I don't know what it is, but when, when he gives me feedback, like he tried to teach my, my husband is a, an incredible guitar player. Um, he played in a band all through college. That's like, that was his job all through college. I tried to have him teach me how to play guitar a couple of years ago. And it led to the biggest fight of our marriage. <laughs> We've been married for almost nine years. I just, 
critical feedback, even given lovingly from the people who know my weaknesses the best. I really, really struggle with that. Now, professional feedback, all about it. Love it. Need it. But the feedback from people who I have, I have deep personal relationships with, it, it seems to cut me deeper. And I'm not really sure why. I, you know, I think for me, my strength may be one, I really do want it. I value it. I will take it with sincere gratitude. I, I really mean that. I mean, I want it. And two, I can handle just about anything someone wants to say as long, and this kind of gets to my weakness, as they say it's straight and say it to my face. And so I think my weakness there is that I admittedly do not do well with what I will call indirect feedback. So someone is sort of being passive aggressive and squishy and talking maybe behind your back in ways that get back to you or leak out or throwing you under the bus in front of other people in ways you didn't see coming. This doesn't happen a lot, okay? But I I can tell you that the times that it has, it's really made me have an, I'd say an outsized response. I've gotten madder in my own head. It's bothered me more than I think it should. Because I mean, I don't know, this ha- this happens. Like you got to be able to deal with with that. This is just a normal part of living in a community. I don't know. I, I think I got to get better at that. But I think I continue to feel that really the antidote is just to relentlessly welcome and reward straightforward, <laughs> direct communication and feedback, really so people know that they really can speak straight to you and you're not going to be defensive. You're not going to bite their head off. You'll take what they have to say as a, a gift, even if kind of like you're a little hurt by it, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I think with feedback, there's probably at some point no way to avoid being just a little hurt at times. It's just going to happen. So let's talk about understanding oneself and knowing oneself. Also, an essential element of growth. One of my favorite podcasts, you all know this, is History Chicks. And I listen to it every time it comes out. And they are advertising this online counseling service. And at first, I just, I don't know why, but I thought it was it was a little off-putting, and I, I and it shouldn't have been. Um, but in in my thinking and my journal writing this year, I can see where I'm. I'm not going to a counselor, but I am trying to be brutally honest with myself about myself. Really know myself. So I don't want to sound navel gazily here and whatever, but I do think that however we choose to know ourselves, whether it's an online counseling service or journaling or talking with, you know, a friend or a, a mentor, um, you have to, you have to know yourself. Now give yourself a break. I mean, you don't want to be too hard on yourself. Um, but I do think you just have to kind of launch yourself into this process, some kind of way you, you really have to understand and know yourself. Um, and I guess I've come to believe that every part of you every part of me, warts and all, um, is me. There's some not so positive tendencies. Uh, all I can really do is manage those, you know, and try to minimize them. But I, if I don't know about them, if I'm not really understanding myself, I just can't grow. So what about y'all? What, what's the, what's the deal with, how do you know yourself? How do you How do you get to know yourself? How do you understand yourself? What do you, you know, what do y'all do? I think for some of us, an interest in self-awareness and growth is is sort of a natural interest based on our temperament and personality. So like I'm a pretty future-oriented INFP on the Myers-Briggs. And if you read that description, 
it says that people like that are thinking about these topics a lot. Like they sort of are, are naturally reflective. So I've come a long way in not, I guess, judging is the right word. People who, they're just not that interested. Like they don't want to journal. They don't want to think, they don't want to grow and think about these right. things and, and all. But still, even so, even so, I think I would come back to and encourage people. You know, Socrates is famous for saying the unexamined life is not worth living. And so I think at some level, if you're listening to this and you're thinking, ah, oh, that's a bunch of hooey, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to gaze at my navel, whatever. You know, you don't, you don't have to like stay up and read books about it, but, but, you know, you should probably spend a little time reflecting and just thinking about where, where are you coming from? What do you care about? And how can you make positive changes in your future? Yeah, I have to say, Rachel, that being a part of the show and my friendship with you in particular, and the things that you have taught us at Bell Curve, I never would have thought about this in turn at all, because I'm not one of those people that tends to read a lot of books about self-awareness or think a lot about self-awareness. And um, I still probably don't as much as some, I'm probably one of those people that you would put in the camp that, it just, you know, that's just not how I would spend my time. Um, it doesn't seem as important, but I will say this, that it's my, it's, it's you teaching me how important that is that has made me spend a little more time on it, a little more effort to, to my benefit, to my benefit, to my positive growth. Gosh, thank you, Mary Scott. You're here. Um, well, one of the things that I, I think about when it comes to knowing yourself is knowing what what barriers are going to trip you up when you're pursuing growth. I will throw my husband under the bus again on this one and say, he knows that if there are sweets in the house, he cannot say no to those sweets. So if he is on a, on a health kick where you're trying to, to maybe lose weight, maybe just feel better. Um, all the Oreos go in the trash, all the chocolate gets locked away or thrown away because he knows he cannot moderate when it comes to sweets. And while that's frustrating to me because I, I typically can and like having them in the house, if I want to treat every once in a while, I really respect that he knows, okay, if I'm going to get serious, I have to take these steps. I have to remove these barriers. I have to, to get rid of these speed bumps that are going to trip me up along the way. So I, I would put that under the category of, of no knowing yourself and understanding what you need on a personal level that go back to that self-awareness piece to be able to set yourself up for success. So I have two things I'll talk about before we close the show. And um, one of them is courage and confidence. And the second is the role of faith. So courage and confidence. Uh, you know, there's a part of me that says you just got to have this in spades and it's got to be an essential element. If you don't have it, you're not going to grow. But I don't know, I think you do need a little courage and I think you need a little confidence and you got to have enough to kind of make, make the moves. But I don't know that you need courage and confidence in spades to grow. I think, you know, there's just a lot of things that scare you to death. And the truth is you're kind of quivery about it and shaky legged and, you know, and your confidence is waning, but you know, you, you step out, you do it anyway. And maybe that is the very definition of courage, you know, doing something, even though it scares you, but I guess what I reject is that you have to have courage and confidence and spades and, you know, overflowing, you know, and to, to be able to really grow. And I, I don't, I don't think that's true. What about y'all? Let me add to that. I, I think, I think it's also important to note that if you don't feel courage and confidence, <laughs> like, like there's a lot of 
research out there that shows that that might be because you are competent. Let me just read you real quick from highexistence.com. Jordan Lejewin, he he brings up what's called the Dunning-Kruger effect, and I might be mispronouncing that, but he talks about this cognitive bias in which people make unfortunate choices, but their incompetence robs them of the metacognitive ability to realize it. So what he says is... So they're too dumb to know that. Yeah, so that like that, exactly. So he says, quote, for all of you smarties currently doubting your ability... It means that competent people doubt their abilities while incompetent people overestimate their abilities. The intelligent falsely assume that others have equal understanding, which is why being smart, beautiful, or talented can actually result in lower self-confidence. So the outcome of all of this is less fortunate people feeling more confident about their abilities than those who actually excel in those areas. So maybe just some encouragement. <laughs> um, and, you know, Bertrand Russell once said, the trouble with the world is that the stupid are cocksure and the intelligent are full of doubt. <laughs> that does make me feel better. Well, I, I think that does, I think that does really go to the notion though, that, that the role of courage and confidence can be over, over, overestimated. You know, sometimes you just got to step out and do it. Y'all, before we close the show, let's talk for a second about faith and the role of faith. I, I think for me anyway, in these last 21 months, I, I can't help but note that my faith has been the cornerstone for a lot of the growth, especially in the most uh, painful growth experiences. I'm, I'm really not one to wear my faith on my sleeve, but I, I do want to say that if you're wondering if faith is a necessary part of being your best you, my experience tells me that it is that way. My own faith is as a Christian, and my experience tells me that regular study and prayer and being in a Christian community and at my church is that's what works best for me. And that's what helps me grow as a person. I'm not, I, I am more centered and grounded and I deal with discomfort and the uncertainty of growth better when my Christian faith is active. So thoughts. I agree completely. My favorite hymn by Bernadette Farrell, she says, unless a grain of wheat shall fall upon the ground and die, it remains but a single grain with no life. So just sort of to bring this full circle, I th and I think this theme is very present in most faith practices, sometimes it takes a little bit of dying to be reborn and grow. You know, you think of the greatest story of all in the Bible, and then you think of like C.S. Lewis, you know, Aslan dying and, and Lion the Witch of the Wardrobe. You think of, you know, we just watched The Lord of the Rings and, you know, Gandalf the Grey, died to come back as the white wizard. So I think what I like about that hymn and what I like about all of these ideas is that, you know, picking out those things that you need to kind of let die is going to help you be reborn and grow. I don't think you can underestimate the role that faith plays um, in, in the lives of the faithful. But even when somebody may not be a Christian, I think there are other institutions, other things that keep us grounded. And, but, and without without those without those things we're we're floating in an ocean with with no land in sight so even if you aren't a person of faith finding what your bedrock is is so incredibly important to to be able to grow up from there i mean there there is that parable about building your house on sand versus building it on a foundation of rock you can take that story and apply it whether or not you're faithful. You, you, you know, you can't build a skyscraper. You can't build a, the life you want without that bedrock to, to really hold you steady. 
And on that note, I cannot think of a more perfect place to um, to stop. Curvy's great to be with you today, as always. And if you like our show, please leave us a review and support Bell Curve with a small periodic donation at patreon.com slash bellcurvepod. And we will keep bringing you solid enriching content so that you are just a little closer to always being your best you. See you next time.